faith, hope, inspiration, and edification. Welcome to the Edify Podcast with Billy Hallowell, a show that cuts through the cultural noise to explore the biggest headlines and issues of the day. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, it's Billy Hollowell, and welcome to the Edify Podcast. So today's show is pretty packed. We've got two great segments for you. In the first part of the show, I'm going to be talking with Dan Andros. He's the editor over at Faithwire, and that's my old stomping ground. So it's always good to connect with them over there and see what they're working on. We're going to be talking through the biggest headlines of the week, and I don't want to spoil it, but there has been some really interesting stuff going on in the faith world. So we're going to get into that in just one second here, but we're also actually going to be having having a guest on the show today, Pastor John MacArthur. Obviously, we've seen Pastor MacArthur in the news over the past few days, in the past week or so. Um, A lot of drama, a lot of debate about whether or not his church in California and Los Angeles should be open or not. And if you've been paying attention, his church has been meeting. Uh, The first week, I believe there were 3,000 people who showed up, um, and then there was about 6,000 people who showed up the next week after that. And so why is this a big deal? Well, COVID, right? There are restrictions on gatherings of that size in California, and John MacArthur has said, listen, we're going to continue to open up. We're going to reopen, rather. We are not going to abide by these government regulations. And so I'm going to be talking with him about that in just a bit. But right now, let's dive right into our biggest headlines of the week with Dan Andros. Hey, Dan, how's it going today? Uh, Great, Billy. Thanks for having me. So thanks for coming on. I've got a list of stories here that you guys have over at Faithwire, and these really are the biggest stories of the week. And the one that I have found, well, I find all of them really interesting, but this Jonathan Isaac story, right? The NBA player who, it's so interesting to me that standing now during the anthem is what is newsworthy. Like, take (laughs) take us through that story for those who don't know. Yeah, so basically, uh, Jonathan Isaac is a is a player for the Orlando Magic in the NBA. And uh, if if uh, if you're not familiar with what the NBA is doing, um, basically they have you know they were on lockdown obviously because of COVID, and um, you know now they're restarting their season and they've fully adopted um, what they're you know social justice issues. So they're all wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. They're kneeling for the anthem. Uh, Black Lives Matter is on the court. Um, the the players are wearing uh, phrases on their backs, like, like social justice phrases on their uniforms, um, along with their names. Um, and literally just pretty much every player is kneeling and, um, only one player stood for the national anthem and it was Jonathan Isaac. Now, Jonathan Isaac is a, is an open Christian and, um, actually became an ordained minister, I believe two years ago. Oh, I didn't Um, know that about him. Wow. Yeah. So he's, he's very outspoken about his, his faith. Um, and, and I'll read you his quote here because it's really great. He said, he said um, I believe that Black Lives Matter, um, but kneeling while wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt doesn't go hand in hand with supporting Black Lives. My life has been supported through the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, and everyone is made in the image of God. Um, so clearly wow. putting a very faith-centered uh, approach to how he's how he's seeing things, which, which, like you said, it's it's kind of crazy that that is a bold stance to actually stand for the national anthem, but uh, but that, but that's where we're at. Well, and he's also black, which makes it 
even yeah. more interesting to me that I guess like the real test of what you think about free speech is how you're going to react when somebody does that. Right. But, but to your point, again, it's, it's shocking. I mean, back, back uh, two years ago, everybody stood right. And, um, yep. and it was, it was news to not stand. It was news to Neil. And so it's interesting mm-hmm. how we've had, how we've had this shift, but I think his message is, is a fascinating one. Are people reacting well? Like, have you seen a lot of reactions to this within and outside of the NBA? Yeah, you know, I don't think he's I think his teammates really understand where he's coming from. And I think I have not seen him get a lot of grief really at all, um, which is good, which is actually, surpri- yeah. I, I think, surprising. Um, but um, they may, maybe because because he himself is black so that the, he's not getting the flack, you know, because I'm sure, you know, I mean, Drew Brees, we all saw he made his comment about the the national anthem and then he was forced to apologize like six ways to Sunday. Um, but uh, but Jonathan Isaac, from what I've seen, is not received a ton of grief and um you know i think he was very you know articulate in in expressing his position so i think that helped and he really put forward a a sent a view of you know his worldview is very god-centered and so when you hear him explain it it makes complete and total sense so transitioning to the next story because i found this really interesting david brody over at cbn interviewed vice president mike pence and there were a lot of headlines that came out of that what was the what was for you the biggest takeaway from that interview well the biggest takeaway um was the story that got i mean millions of views uh, on social media which was the clip of him uh you know david brody asked uh pence directly what do you make of John Roberts, because, you know, he's kind of been all over the board and, and he did not mince words. I mean, this is Mike Pence, who's normally very measured, normally, you know, the adults in the room, so to speak. And um, this time uh, he said that straight out that John Roberts, you know, has been a disappointment to conservatives and then listed a few, you know, cases, uh, Obamacare, et cetera, that, that he kind of thought he came down on the wrong side on. So it was very, very interesting to see uh, him, you know, just take that route. I mean, clearly this is uh, something David Brody, I talked to him later in a follow-up and he said, you know, he thinks it's a sign that they're very concerned for him to have to go after the Supreme court and re up the importance of the Supreme court shows a level of concern for the campaign. Well, and at a time when, if you go back to 2016 and you and I had these conversations all the time in the Facewire newsroom, right. When I, (laughs) when I was there with you and, you know, talking about the court being the courts are such a reason for people to say, Hey, we're going to support Trump. We might not agree with certain things he says or does, but we're going to support him because the courts matter. And I do think there's a legitimacy to that argument, but when the courts then, when the Supreme court is then coming down with the sorts of you know, rulings that we've seen, not all of them, but some of them that don't align with what the right would want, you do sort of have that moment. So yeah, I would imagine that when Mike Pence is speaking up um, like that, that there there's an intentional, an intentionality and a concern about what people are thinking now, because if you can't support the courts, can you really support somebody you don't necessarily agree with on other things? And that that's the yeah. challenge, right? So yeah, that was, that went very viral. That I mean, I saw that story everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, and there were other things in the interview too. I mean, he, he said that they were going to be aggressively pursuing in court, um, the mail-in ballot issue, like the, like universal mail-in balloting. They're very against. Um, and he also was directly asked about Joe Biden's cognitive uh, ability at this oh, point. Oh, I missed that. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And so he didn't answer it directly, but what he said was, he said, look, the antidote to that, he's like, I can't speak to that directly. Clearly smart enough not to you know, make that headline. But he said, uh, the antidote to that is to come to a debate. 
Like, if you want to right. put it to bed, basically, what he was saying essentially was if you want to put to rest any notion that you don't have the uh, cognitive ability that he used to have, just come out and debate. And so he basically threw down the gauntlet and, you know, we'll see. Time will yeah, tell us try to avoid the debates or not. Yeah, it seems like his team is saying, no, we're all in. And then other other people are saying, well, you know, they really shouldn't. But who you never know in politics, are those people being put out there to say that? You know what I mean? Are they being put out there yeah. to float these ideas? Right. Um, right intentionally or or not and listen at the end of the day there's the fact that if you're way ahead of somebody else and that person is known for kind of excelling at you know the ways in which they dance around issues and debate which i think we've seen trump do you <laughs> might trump say well why should i like why right. should i do it well you know? look i mean the only reason i mean in, in a from a pure strategy strategy perspective i really do think um, there is very little incentive for Joe Biden to go out there and debate. He has, he has, like you said, he's way ahead. He's got nothing to nothing to gain. And Trump, for whatever reason, you know, even he just seems to be a, literally a Teflon Don when it comes to debates. He can throw out a nickname; it sticks. Um, you know, whatever. I mean, like you know, Hillary Clinton is not a slouch when it comes to debating. Like, she no, knows what she's no, doing. she's and, she, and she's, and she's intelligent, her. like her or not. You know, like like yeah. Hillary, and she's an intelligent person, right? So, well, she's calculating. Um, I mean, she's super right, calculating, and right. so, but she's good at the. I mean, that's what she does. That's and Trump comes in here and he did, somehow just did completely fight against her, and so, um, I you know, and Biden, you know, it's very difficult to watch Biden and not you know, concede that he at least has trouble, you know, communicating the way he used to communicate. Yeah, I think the interview with Errol Barnett at CBS News really was a wake up call for a lot of people who have been kind of denying that. Um, and listen, I mean, I'm like that now and I'm 36. So who knows? You know, <laughs> sometimes you just get. But I think when you compare Joe Biden a few years ago to Joe Biden now, it does. You can see a difference. Right. Um, so listen, I, I get it now. We've got to go here in a second, but I want to talk about Christian persecution in China. I mean, what, what we're seeing just in religious persecution in general in China, there's also the issue with the Muslim population there. Um, what in the world is going on? We've got Senator Dianne Feinstein calling China respect, <laughs> respectable. Um, so do you want to react to that? At all? I know you guys, you covered that story. Yeah, well, it was interesting because, you know, we have at Faithwire have covered the persecution in, in China a lot and it's still going on and they've been ramping it up in recent in recent weeks, you know, after COVID, they're not letting churches open. And so they have that going on. And then um, what happened was, I think it was one of the, the attorney generals in one of the states, I think Missouri, sued China, you know, for COVID you know, all the things that are happening here in America, they're trying to sue China for it. And so Feinstein was reacting to that. You know, this is a communist regime that, you know, aside from the Christian persecution, they've got millions of Muslims in thought camps and re-education camps uh, where they're forcing them to, you know, try to change their views and, you know, bow down to the communist government. So this is not, and, and then the whole Hong Kong thing. I mean, they, you know, you can get life in prison now for protesting against uh, the, the communist government uh, in Hong Kong there. So, uh, so very weird comments from Feinstein and, and you know, bizarre to, to, to sort of say that it seems like it just seems like they will, will oppose Trump in any way they can without even thinking about what they're saying. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. And I think we need to shed more light on that. And I know you guys actually did a video, um, five Christians who were killed for their faith in two months. Um, and as we round out here to the end, where can people watch that video if they want to see it? Yeah, thanks. That and that video was from uh, talking about India, where there is surprising Christian Christian persecution there. And I talked to Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and it is on the CBN News 
YouTube page. Um, and if you just, uh, you know, would Google five Christians killed for their faith um, in India, you know, Google something like that and CBN News YouTube page. I'm not sure exactly which one will work, but uh, you should be able to find the video there or just go to uh, faithwire.com and you can scroll down and look for that article there. Well, listen, Dan, I appreciate you coming on the Edify podcast today. Everyone check out faithwire.com and CBN. We'll, we'll have you back soon. All right. Thanks, Billy. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. And we're back with more of the Edify podcast. If you do not know about Edify, you need to head over onto your web browser, edify.app. It's E-D-I-F-I. You can find out more about the app. But this is an app. It's a platform. It allows you to listen to almost every single Christian podcast that is out there, um, which is amazing. And then you can hear this show and many others. And we've got some exciting original shows coming on the platform. But you can download the app as well. Go into the App Store, either Apple or Android, and get Edify. It's E-D-I-F-I. You want to check that out. And you're going to find a lot of your favorite shows are already going to be there, but you're going to find so much other content, ministry content, women's content, Bible content for kids. I mean, there is no shortage, you know, news and opinion. There's so much in that app. Check it out, edifi.app, or go to the App Store to download it right now. Now, our transition here into the last and final segment, and this is going to be about, I think, probably about a 20-minute discussion here we're planning on having, which I'm excited, with Pastor John MacArthur. Again, John MacArthur is at the centerpiece of the debate over government restrictions and how far they should go amid COVID. And so we're going to hear from him. We're going to hear his perspective. Um, I'm planning on throwing out some, some hardball questions, I think, to him to some degree to sort of understand where he's at, understand why the church has made the decisions they've made. And the goal here is not to have any sort of debate per se, but to understand John MacArthur's perspective. So with no further ado, let's welcome Pastor John MacArthur to the show right now. Hey, Pastor, how you doing today? I'm uh, doing very well. Thank you, Billy. Well, thanks for coming on the show. So you've been you've been making a lot of headlines in the last week or two here, uh, which I know you're aware of. And um, obviously, what is going on in the country right now with COVID and the just, I think, chaos that's resulted from it and the public policy debates and all of that, you've sort of found yourself in the middle of this in California, your church, Grace Community Church. Um, you've decided that at this point now, now in the beginning, you guys were saying, you know, we're going to abide by the government's orders. Um, and then there was sort of a change where you felt it had gone too far. So I wanted to I wanted to understand that. I think people were curious. They want to know, okay, why why follow it and at what point did the government sort of overstep? Well, first of all, you know, I've been here 50 years. The church is 63 years old and this church has never had any kind of mandate from the government to close. Mm. So when they came up with this mandate, it was it seemed to me so rare and so unusual that we were, you know, listening, what's the reason for this? And uh, I think the Imperial College model came out and said, two million Americans are going to die. Well, that's uh, that's serious enough to make anybody with common sense stop. 
And so we said, wow, if, if that's the reality of this thing, sure, we, we don't we don't want anybody to die. We don't want to be endangering anyone. So so we just went live stream and <clears throat> I preached to an empty worship center and, uh, you know, we had it going out in five languages around the world and it was it was fine. By about the third week, people started to come back. And by the fourth week, a few more people and the fifth week, a few more people, we never said anything. They would just sit in on the live stream service. Uh, and what was happening was they were beginning to realize that it wasn't what they said it was going to be. Um, and eventually, two Sundays ago, we recognized in the state of California at the time, there were 8,500 deaths. Um, half of them were people over 80 with obvious comorbidity issues. So even if you count them out of 40 million people, 8,500 people had died with COVID. We know not necessarily from COVID. That was 0.02% of the population of California. We didn't have anybody in our church who was hospitalized or died. So it just seemed to me that 99.98 is pretty good odds to come to church. And people were crying out to, to open the church because of the fears. And, and then of course, the church is the center of life for, for people who love the Lord. And, uh, and they were cut off from their friends. There were just a lot of reasons. They started coming back. We didn't say anything. We didn't make an announcement. They started coming back, and then we produced a document, basically that said why we're going to stay open, and then they really came back, and I think about three thousand came that Sunday, and last wow. Sunday we had six thousand people. You had six thousand uh, last week. Wow, wow. Yeah, they they just kept coming, um, and so we basically we we approached this thing from three perspectives. Number one, the the governor said the church is not essential. Uh, some things were essential. Um, liquor stores were essential. Abortion clinics were essential. Grocery stores were essential, but the church was not essential. Um, so our approach to that is, based on the Constitution, the governor doesn't have the authority to say what is essential. Other cases have been argued that if you're going to say something about a casino, you have to at least say the same thing that applies to a church. We're saying he doesn't have the right to say anything at all about an essential or non-essential business or operation. So that's our argument that that the governor has no constitutional authority to say the church is not essential. The co Constitution doesn't give him that power. In fact, the, the First Amendment basically says that the Constitution is designed to protect unalienable rights given by God. So the Constitution has to protect that right of people to worship God freely. So from a constitutional standpoint, he is in defiance of the Constitution. And from an authority standpoint, he has no authority to do this. He's actually even said that, it's on video, that he knows he doesn't have authority, but he's exercising influence. So that then led us to the issue of, is the church essential? Well, you know the answer to that. Right. We're the most essential entity in the world because we're, we're the stewards of the gospel and the message of salvation. The, the world needs more than it needs anything else. Uh, 
eternal salvation is based upon the gospel, and that's the treasure of the church. So uh, Christ is the head of the church. The Lord Jesus is the head of the church, not the governor of California. So we felt the restrictions also were impossible and unreasonable. We went over them yesterday. It was really interesting. If we tried to fulfill all the restrictions that were imposed on us in order to meet, it would be absolutely and completely impossible. Just unbelievably onerous from the fact that people had to make an appointment and register their names and addresses, and that there had to be six-foot perimeters around people. Well, I mean, you have thousands of members at your church. You have thousands of people coming through. There'd be no way for you to for you to do that. Have you right? Exactly. Have you felt so? So obviously, there's a lot of debate right around this, and so you've been at the center at the center of it. And I saw you on Tucker Carlson talking about it, and I think it's really interesting because when the government does create regulations that are inconsistent and that appear to be inconsistent, and when churches are on the receiving end of that, there's it really opens up this sort of debate and this sort of discussion, because to your point, there are other things being called essential um, that are are not necessarily essential things, whereas a church for people, not just the spiritual aspect, which is the most important, but there are churches feeding people and providing counseling. I mean, and you know this as somebody who's been in ministry for decades and in a prominent role in ministry, that churches are centerpieces. At the same time, there are some people saying, but what if people get sick? You know, how is John MacArthur going to feel if people at the church um, fall ill? So how, how would you respond to that critique, which I know you've, you've heard as well in, the re- in recent days? Yeah. <clears throat> well, first of all, we don't know of anybody who has contracted COVID at our church. We don't have any report of that, and, and uh, we haven't heard of that. We don't have anybody in our congregation sick or in the hospital, so I don't know I don't know how you could ever know where someone was when they got COVID and if they were tested positive. Uh, I mean, we now know the latest statistics, 80% of the people who, who get this are asymptomatic. So we haven't had any indication to, to, to close down because of, of illness. Now, I get the fact that somebody may show up and try to fabricate that to shut us down. I understand that. But that would be just another attack on the church. Um, I, 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 I'm seeing intentional discrimination against um, biblical Christianity and the church. It's targeted at us. It's impossible to fulfill the requirements. And at this particular point, they have no terminus. They have no end. Just was thinking the other day, it's been five months since we've had a Sunday school class for over a thousand children that, have, that meet every mm. Sunday here at Grace Church, they meet three hours on Sunday morning and an hour and a half on Sunday night to be taught the Word of God. We want to raise godly children. It's been five months for these children. Everybody knows the harm that has come to children because of the lockdown. Uh, I'm not worried about the virus and children. I don't think anybody really is. I am worried about the fact that children have been cut off from loving instruction in the Word of God for five months, and they want us to continue to do that in an open-ended way. And if nothing else, for the sake of the children, the the church needs to function. That's, uh, you know, I mean, Jesus said, bring the little ones to me, and we've always done that. That's the very heart of Grace Community Church. 
So have you had any I've I've seen the things out there arrest $1000 a day, you know, have you had interactions the church with the government and if so, where does that currently stand because I can't imagine they weren't happy with the first week uh, of 3000. There's no way they were happy with the second week of 6000. So what what are they saying to you about how they plan to react to this? It depends <clears throat> it depends on who you talk to. Um the there's a sense in which the the people, the politicians, and even the health department are are sort of saying things to us or poking around and sending us. They sent us one document. There were a couple of other conversations, but they have not, They have done nothing beyond that. I'm not. I'm not sure just exactly what force they could call out to come against us because. From a standpoint of law and order, none of these things are law, and even the police enforce law. So I don't I don't know what would be next. The mayor said the other day that he would you know, he had the power to cut off the water and the power. I saw that. I did see that. Yeah, but again, look, if you wanted to do that to somebody who didn't pay rent on a house, it takes you three months to get an eviction. So they'd have to have a court order. They'd have to go through all kinds of rigmarole to ever get to that point. So I think at this point, it feels like they're they're making threats up to now. But we're not engaged with them at all anymore because we have counsel, uh, Jenna Ellis, who's a constitutional lawyer in Washington, D.C., and a, just a, a precious Christian uh, lady, uh, is also the constitutional attorney for, for the president. She is our counsel now, and everything goes to her. So, so you don't have to deal directly. The, okay. Yeah, we don't deal directly with anyone. So, and I appreciate your responses here. I think it's helpful for people to hear, you know, directly from you, right, on this, because it has created such a divide both in the church, outside of the church. One of the things, and I know you're aware of this, um, I believe you you even responded um, to this in a statement, people are pulling um, out your perspective on, on Romans 13 as it pertained to the American Revolution, and they're comparing it to this, and they're saying, you know, is there a disconnect here when it comes to, you know, governing, you know, submitting to the governing authorities, um, you know, is there is there a change in mind that you've had on Romans 13? So I wanted to I wanted to raise that and allow you to speak to that. Yeah, not at all. Romans 13 says that God has ordained the powers that be and those powers that be exist for two opposing purposes. One, to protect those who do good. That's what it says. And punish evildoers. And they carry a sword. They don't carry it in vain. In other words, this Romans 13 is talking about weaponized authorities who punish evildoers and protect the people who do good from them. In our society, that's the police. In fact, all week, this week here at Grace Church, we've had uh, police training. They do a lot of their training here at Grace Church. We love and support the police totally. We have wonderful relationships with the police. Um, we provide uh, barbecue lunches for them at the police stations. We We've been feeding the, the the guys that run the jails nearby because they shut the cafeterias ostensibly because of COVID. So we've been taking on that opportunity. Um, we have done everything we can to give honor to them, and our people are law-abiding and supportive. There is a disconnect currently between the people who uphold law and order, punish evildoers, and protect the good people, 
there's a disconnect between those people and the politicians who are now making crazy mandates that have nothing to do with law. And the question then arises, do the police, are the police bound to enforce things that are not laws? Hmm. So that, that's a technical question. The not so technical question is, do the police really want to do that when you've just voted to defund them? <laughs> Yes, there's a lot going on right now in in culture, right? I mean, 2020 has been you're you're raising a number of issues that are colliding at the moment, right? Um, and that's Absolutely. an interesting that's an interesting question, and it also is an election year, and so you have that you have this whole other layer of things happening right now at the same time, and I guess all of that brings me to ask you as we sort of round out to the end of our discussion here, how far. Will you guys take this? So you're you're very likely headed to court. What do you think happens next? I guess in this in this uh, back and forth. Uh, Grace Church is going to meet. Uh, we're going to meet, um, and we're going to continue to meet, and we're going to always meet because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus is Lord, and the government government has a certain purview given by God, but it doesn't cross over into the realm of the kingdom of God. So we're going to meet. Uh, obviously, we're in a situation now where the powers that be, the political powers, are are having to talk with our attorneys, and um, they're whatever that leads to, it leads to. Uh, but we're going to do everything we can in the court system to um, do what we can in defending ourselves, do what we can to prevent. Uh, any action to close the church down. But in the event that that action is taken, uh, Grace Community Church is going to keep meeting. Uh, I don't know what else to say. We've supported the underground church through the years when it was persecuted, and churches are being persecuted, Christians all over the world today, and paying with their life. Uh, I don't know what that's going to look like. I really really don't know, but uh, this is not the America that I've known for for many, many decades. Uh, it's just a bizarre reality that we haven't navigated in the past. So I'm, I'm not a prophet, so I, I can't predict what's going to happen. But I, I can say this, Grace Community Church is going to meet. We're going to proclaim the, the gospel. Our people love each other. They want to be together. And uh, they want to be together as a church and worship the Lord. I don't know why that's such a threat to a society with such a minimal impact essentially the impact is very much like the flu in previous years you know seven thousand six seven thousand people die every year of the flu going back three or four years so nine maybe nine or ten thousand die this year it's it's a little bit more but a lot less younger ones and more older ones this is not epic enough to literally tear the fabric the religious fabric of this nation as well as the economy of this nation into shreds well, and it's it is interesting because we're watching. Um, you know, I'm I'm here in New York, and uh, Governor Cuomo announced today that schools can reopen across the state, including New York City. That there are no areas where they're not going to reopen. So it's interesting to watch. And obviously, thing numbers may be different in certain areas, but it does seem like there's a move more toward reopening at the moment. And so we'll be we'll be uh, monitoring your case, and I would love to have you back on in the near future to talk more about this. I appreciate you taking the time. I really do. Yeah, just one quick comment. Sure. The numbers are diminishing here in California, but oops, very conveniently, 
the Los Angeles Times came out today and said um, they think all the computers are wrong and they really don't know the numbers. And so they won't be able to make any decision until they fix the computers. Oh that my was gosh. convenient. I did not I did not see that one. I mean, one of the and one of the things with all of this, and it is very interesting that this entire scenario has become confusing for people because the numbers are confusing the guidance is confusing and so outside of no matter where people stand on this and there are, i know christians on both sides of and by the way you guys are not requiring masks at the church right no but if people feel comfortable that we have an outdoor tent we have outdoor patio seating outdoor video if you want to wear a mask wear a mask People get it. I mean, they get it. They they understand the realities. Uh, they they have common sense. So, but if people have a desire to wear a mask, that's great. We love them. We we had a, one of our string ensembles and brass ensembles on the platform, and there were actually some who had a mask on up there, uh, beating the drums, which is great. If that's how you feel, if you if you want to be protected in that way good we're not making any rules at all we're, we're trying to accommodate the sanitizer and masks if people want them whatever but it's a little hard to do the social distancing and and one of the things that they put in their rules was children have to maintain a six-foot perimeter from other children i mean that's it that's an well, impossibility for kids i mean i know that schools are trying to do that but i have a seven-year-old and a you know five-year-old i mean it just doesn't it doesn't happen right. <laughs> so no, and they know that they know that so what is the what are they trying to say? Um, one last thing for you, and I was going to let you go, and I know you have to run, but but what would you say about right now? There's a lot of division in the church over this, right? A division over masks, division over the rules, division over what you're doing at your church. I mean, there's division everywhere, and there's people who love Jesus and they're torn and they're not sure where to fall on any of these things. Um, what would your message be right now in light of the fact there are strong views on this within the church, but you know, do you have any kind of message about, and I, I hate to use the word unity because it waters things down, but I think you know what I mean about how we should approach this as Christians with the divisiveness of it. Well, first of all, I'd ask, consider the source. Who, who do you think wants this kind of discord and disunity in the church? And, you know, we just we just came out of fighting it over social justice, and here we are fighting this discord and disunity over something as silly as the flu and masks and all of that. You know, the Apostle Paul said, you know, pursue pursue peace and the bond of unity. Love is the bond of unity. Um, you know, I, I did a video, it's on our website, in which I just encourage our people, we love you. You know, if you're a little shy, sit outside. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Just be loving and don't sit in judgment. You know, people were judging Grace Church saying, well, look, man, you, 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 you ought to just shut it down. Well, if we were, a, if we were, a, and if we were basically a light and uh, music show with a TED talk where you need all the <laughs> electronics inside, we'd shut it down. If, or if we were just an adult event that happened on the weekend, uh, we'd have it out in the parking lot. But we have a thousand children here. We have, 300 junior high kids and another four or 500 high school kids and disabled children ministry. And we, this is a full church. This is not a weekend event that can be simplified. And the health department told us when church is over, it is required that everyone leave immediately. Well, <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Mm. Uh, so again, we, there's no way we can conform. We're just, we're trying to do some things to show good faith, um, and we we are 
trying more than anything else to make sure we leave a light in the darkness. Well, listen, I so appreciate your time, and I hope you'll come back soon. Yeah, glad to help. Thanks, Billy. That was Pastor John MacArthur. Now, I'm interested. I would love to know what people think out there. I know there's so many different ideas about this. It's it's a big debate, and there's a tough balance. No matter where you stand on this issue, understanding the public health battle versus the First Amendment battle, at what point do those lines cross? And I think that's what uh, Pastor John MacArthur was talking about there. And again, not everyone's going to agree. Others are fully on board with what he's saying. So very curious to hear from you guys. You can actually head over to the Anchor app. If you go to anchor.fm slash Billy Hollowell, you can leave me a voicemail. I'd be really interested to hear what your thoughts are. So feel free to speak into this issue and let me know. And uh, would love to share some of those responses on the next episode of the show. But this is a wrap. This is a wrap for today's Edify podcast. I'm Billy Hollowell, and I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of the show. Thanks for listening to the Edify podcast. For more transformational and faith-inspiring podcasts, head over to edify.app, where you can stream thousands of Christian shows right now. And for convenience on the go, download the Edify podcast app today from the Apple and Google Play stores and at edify.app.